And two names that I would want to shout out as people who really inspired me to quit stand-up <laughs> was Jabron Salim and Emma Willman, who are two of the funniest people I have ever met, two incredibly nice people, two people who have been very successful with stand-up, and two people who would come and do our show, be so grateful and so nice. And I realized, I was like, if I don't love this that much, I need to stop doing it. I need to stop focusing on it. Hello and welcome once again to the No Name NYC podcast. I am Eric Vetter. I am the host and co-founder of No Name in a Bag of Chips, New York City's longest running comedy variety show. I want to thank you for choosing to spend some time with us. The, the person you heard up front, that is Andrew Sanford. I met Andrew Sanford when he, well, actually, I, I first met him as some guy who had moved into my building. He was my downstairs neighbor. First, he was two floors below me. Then he was one floor below me. And I guess he then said, screw this. I got to get out of here because I can't take that guy. And I then found out we had mutual friends. I found out he was a, a stand-up comic. He was doing a lot of shows at the time. And then he was doing a podcast. He became a very dear friend, but also, I just found out this guy was doing some real work. In the just few years I've known him, the focus of his work has shifted, and he got down to business, and he's doing stuff, and I, I thought it'd be great to chat with him, and it was great to chat with him, and you'll hear that in a little bit. Now, if you're hearing this podcast on the day that it drops, that would be January 1st. Happy New Year. We all made it to here. If you're listening to this, we all made it to here, and I'm glad you're still here. I hope the new year is treating you kindly or will treat you kindly. I want to let you know about some stuff we've got coming up in February. No Name will be turning 30. It will be 30 years since our very first No Name show on February 26th. That will happen. In the meantime, we've got some shows lined up, and there will probably be more added. But uh, as of this recording, I can tell you that on Tuesday, January 9th, we will have a storytelling edition co-hosted by the wonderful Michelle Carlo and myself. Not all the names are confirmed, but if the names that are tentative confirm, I'm super excited about that show. And that will be a free show at the lovely Word Up Community Bookshop located in beautiful Washington Heights, the corner of 165th Street and Amsterdam Avenue, 7 p.m. on Tuesday, January 9th. It's free and you can bring outside food and beverage in and you can sign up for a chance to get five minutes of stage time at the end of the evening. You can do anything you want, uh, stand up, songs, whatever. And we'd love to have you be a part of that. That is in January. Our February slate at the moment includes that month's Super Story Party at Word Up Bookshop. And that will be on Tuesday, February 6th. I hope I'm not screwing that up. I believe it's the first Tuesday. I believe that's February 6th. And on February 17th, we return to QED in Astoria. And that should be a blast. Uh, we always have a good time there. We have uh, amazing folks who come through. And we just love that joint. It's owned and run and created by the wonderful Cambry Cruz, who is a past podcast guest. If you haven't heard that episode, I'd suggest you go back and listen to that. She's an amazing human. That's an amazing place. And we're going to be there on February 17th at 7 p.m. And by the time you get this, you can probably order the tickets in advance online at qedastoria.com. So that's what we've got coming up uh, that is definitely in the pipeline. Well, what, what can I tell you? We, we had a great conversation with Andrew Sanford. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But first, coming to you from the home of Bob the Squirrel, get away to Green Bay. That's right, the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a bed and breakfast before, but the breakfast in a lot of these places tends to be like a mini box of cereal or uh, some questionable fruit, things of that nature, a piece of toast maybe with some butter. But not at the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast. Your innkeepers, Tom and Linda Stieber, will provide you with a delicious, absolutely world-class 
breakfast every single morning. They will also make you feel welcome in any one of their five luxury accommodations, all of which have a private bath and some of which have their own jacuzzi. If you want to know what's going on around town, Tom and Linda will let you know about any special events, and they'll also make recommendations for you to any of the wonderful restaurants in town. So you can't beat it. Go. Go now. Go. Get away to Green Bay. For more information or for reservations, go to www.astorhouse.com. That's A-S-T-O-R-H-O-U-S-E.com. Get away to Green Bay. Man, uh, I I haven't seen you in for forever, and you're getting ready to get out of here. Uh, okay, first of all, we went to Wahi Diner maybe four months ago. Maybe. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I didn't, three or four months ago. Was I, it that on so that, that's, that's only... Four months, not forever. Okay, <laughs> fine, fine. I, you know, see, because I forget, I'm, I'm a single guy, never had kids, never been married. So mm-hmm. I, you know, for you, that's super reason. Me, it's like, dude, that was four months yeah. ago. What the hell? <laughs> I mean, what, if, what do you fill your time with, you <laughs> married father of twin three-year-olds? About to be three-year-olds. Yeah, they may as well so. be three-year-olds, especially so. because they're talking more. I was warned very early on that... Um, Three-year-olds are two-year-olds who can talk, and that was that was one of the one of those kind of stark warnings that hits you like a bucket of water. <laughs> what? Yeah, like just this idea. Because you mean I only got one year to watch what I say? Exactly. And I feel bad. I felt you were so nice to be like, oh, can we swear in your apartment? Because um, you knew I had kids. Well, and yeah, because well, I know how you are outside the apartment. Exactly. I know how I am outside well, the apartment. Well, Eric, I've started to feel bad because there are people that will come. Come over and we'll, like they'll say like oh fuck and then go like oh sorry and I'll be like wait am I supposed to be doing that am I supposed to not be swearing around them? So what were their first words? Oh, <laughs> you, you brought it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I, I'm trying to. Oh shoot! It wasn't a swear. It wasn't anything fun. <laughs> it was. It was. I feel like it was like noises at first. It's always weird. It's it's one of those things. Because trying I, to communicate to you that the friends you have over are too noisy. Yes. <laughs> but I, I I I I it's so funny. I really wanted to. My parents always said that my first word was doishy do, and it was me trying to say Ghostbusters. And I have told them time and time again that that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> but because but I it's on like, your permanent record exactly. Now. But because I was so focused on that idea mm-hmm. of, like, I really want to be attentive to what their first word was, right, I could not right. tell you if you held a gun to my head what their first <laughs> uh, words would, were. Would Joy have the same story? I believe so, because I think someone asked us both recently, and we were both like, uh, probably should have written that down, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, the here, I, I the first time I thought one of them was seriously injured, that's what we'll go with, was I, <laughs> we was, I was changing... One's yeah, yeah, diaper, yeah. and then uh, the other one uh, had done something, was trying to open something he shouldn't open, and I reached to, to stop him, and all of a sudden I heard, and cries, and what had happened was there was a dresser that's probably about three to four feet high that my son Isaiah just rolled off of, and when I oh. tell you he was maybe seven months old, maybe, he rolled off, luckily fell. I, I say he probably fell on his butt, but he did what I like to call a wrestler fall, which is where your full body absorbs the impact. If you ever watch a pro wrestler fall down, they try to hit the ground with every part of their body. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's what my seven-year-old son did, thank God. And we just kind of had to wait, and it was the longest 24 hours of my life. And as soon as we woke him up the next morning, checked in on him, saw that he was okay, breathed a sigh of relief, and then I burst into tears, which I guarantee you will be a recurring theme in our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. No, I totally get that. But uh, And I, I know enough about you and your love of pro wrestling that you must have thought, yes, <laughs> yeah. in the jeans. 
<laughs> it's so funny you say that. I have gone out of my way to make sure they. You don't, don't have know the baby what, wrestling now, do yeah, you? Yeah, no, no, no. I don't want them to know what pro wrestling is. <laughs> when I think of all the crazy shit I did when I was little, jumping off of like, um, I we had a uh, a back shed that I remember leaping off of to elbow my younger brother, like give him a nice big elbow drop, like stupid yeah, yeah. stuff, and they already. Um, I tried to get them introduced into superheroes and that led to, I like literally one of them will wake up from his nap and be like, Hey, I want to fight you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Your mom's not going to let me show you Superman anymore. <laughs> so, uh, but on, on the plus side, you know, he already knows how to fall it's, properly. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he can take a bump. <laughs> well, let me ask you, you, you're living in New York. You've been in New York as long as I've known you. Uh, you're getting ready to move to Jersey 60, city. 16 uh, years, 16 can, years. We can edit that out if you're trying to dodge the law. But what no. I wanted to ask is, so you're, you're originally from Massachusetts? Mm-hmm, Western Mass. I was born in Pittsfield in the Berkshires, uh, and then we just traveled around a lot when I was younger and then wound up back in Pittsfield because that's where my mom's from mm. when I was about 10. So, like, there was a brief stay in Arizona, uh, a brief stay in Texas, and then a uh, somewhat longer stay in Louisiana, and then... We moved away from three of the most deep red states I could think of. Well, it's, <laughs> Our little you know, mixed race family was like, got, hey, got, out, out got out in time. Yeah, uh, right? Yeah. I stayed just long enough to be a Texas Rangers fan. That was. <laughs> well, we'll overlook that. And congratulations, by the way. I was way. about to say, we're not overlooking shit. This has been the best. <laughs> I've been waiting 30 years <laughs> for a world. You know, I, I, I thought of you recently. I, I came across uh, flipping through junk on YouTube, and mm-hmm. one does. Um, I, I came across a broadcast of a Rangers game when Nolan Ryan was going for his 300th win. Ooh, ooh. Uh, and I, you know, I know what I'm going to sleep tonight too. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, 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 you're not. No, you're not. Because he didn't get it that <laughs> night. They let him stay in like eight innings, and he gave up like 45 <laughs> runs. But he was telling them, "No, you're not taking me out." And like he, he only came out when it was a big enough lead that it was not likely to say, all right, I'll give myself one inning rest until oh, the next time. But I thought of you, like, <sighs> and actually, the reason I listened to it, you know, I just listened to the beginning to hear, sure. you know, like, the breakdown who was playing yeah. or whatever, and like, oh, Ryan, go for it. Let's listen to this. And, and with with the thought in mind, I got to tell Andrew about this. And it's like, maybe I'll just <laughs> warn him about this. But uh, I love, and I know uh, you and I. I feel like could end up talking about baseball for hours, so I don't <laughs> want to derail things too much. But I will say, I both miss and don't miss that kind of old guard of baseball of these like older workhorses, like Nolan Ryan, especially. One of my favorite clips is ever of Nolan Ryan is him at I think almost forty, wrapping Robin Ventura up in a headlock, who was maybe twenty two at the time, <laughs> and just beating the piss out of him because he had hit him with a ball. And there's just this. We won't see that brand of pitcher or baseball player in general ever again, which isn't a bad thing, but it is kind of a fun look into how things used to be. These guys would stay out there, throw 130, 140 pitches, and that would be a somewhat regular game. And now yeah. they hit like 90 and they're like, we got to get them out of here. No, my, my running joke with my buddy Jeff, who's a, a, a big baseball fan, is kind of like, yeah, I saw the game the other night, you know, and it's like, and it's, and uh, he's coming out of the game after four pitches, uh, 45 pitches <laughs> yeah. uh, re- in the third inning, yep. right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, uh, And, and uh, what, what, what a display. He really he, he showed some heart and gave the bullpen a big rest tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you get out of the red state yep. with your lives yep. um, so far. <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, I, I, look, I know you well enough to know that you're a movie geek and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you're also a music geek, right? I mean, just to pop ex- culture in general? Sure, yes. I would say, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, David, our friend David Lawson, who we were talking about earlier. We always who is a joke. past guest on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a, an indie darling, and I am a pop apologist, and that's why we, <laughs> we get along so well. Indeed, indeed. How did the three of us never go to film forum together? Yeah, right? That, that seems, seems a missed opportunity. Anyway, but so... I, I, I'm saying that to lead into a question about what, now, like when I met you, you were a stand-up comic. 
And where I I met you as you right, were doing yeah. other things, but I met you as a stand-up comic and as mm. a podcast host. Uh, so what I'm trying to go back to is ten year old Andrew. You have any aspirations to performing, to showbiz, anything of that nature? I wanted to be president. Oh, when I was ten years old, very specifically. Dude, why did you that give up or the dream? a lawyer? We yeah, yeah, yeah. Need you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I remember very specifically, and it was because. I didn't have any friends, really. Um, I got really good grades, and I was like, I'd probably have time for something like that. And it just seemed like the thing you wanted to do. And then I very specifically, when I got into middle school, and I had always been, like, loud and and not easily embarrassed, uh, <laughs> which are two of the key things for any kind of performer, I think. Absolutely. Um, and when I got into middle school, that started to pay off a little bit. My lack of embarrassment actually got me friends. My grades suffered significantly. Um, but then I started performing more. I specifically, the first big thing where I was really like, I have the bug, as it were, was I played Sancho in my middle school's production of Man of La Mancha when that, I was 12. That seems ambitious for middle school. It Well, it was, it was a funny, so we, I... William Murphy, Bill Murphy, my theater teacher who I credit, I actually reconnected with him last year after not talking for uh, just quite some, because I moved. I have a hard, uh, I had a hard out when I got out of Pittsfield. Um, and I, re I told him that he really set me off on this kind of journey that led to a lot of different things. And he was always very ambitious and had a lot of faith in people. And it was a mix of, for whatever reason, that year, or no, they hadn't done a musical the year before. So the kids that had graduated and moved on to high school were allowed to still be in the middle school musical that year. Because ah. it, I don't, did you do uh, plays or musicals when you were growing up? Were you a theater kid in school? I was not a theater kid That's in school. That's fine. I the, can tell because you're... You, you the know. only reason I got into performing at all, I, I was, I did get good grades when I was younger, I, like through a little bit into high school. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was really tall, really fat kid who didn't talk to anybody, got good grades and sat in the corner drawing cartoons. I was going to be the next Charles Schultz. I was oh, obsessed with uh -huh. that from second grade through high school. But when I was in high school, mm -hmm. they had started a theater group for the school and they decided they were going to do their first musical, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. I already had both the cast album and the book because I was obsessed with Peanuts. I could recite large chunks of it by heart. And I said, I'm terrified of this. I have no desire to go this way, but I have to audition because I couldn't watch somebody else be Charlie Brown. And as the play was originally written, I know they've made some, some revisions through the years, but as it was originally written, there were five characters, six people auditioned. I got Charlie Brown. Yay! So, uh, and the rest awesome. is <laughs> fractured history. <laughs> but so, uh, so back to you, you're well, a man of I, La Mancha. If, if I may ask, though, because yeah. you had not done any theater before that in the schools, not was really. there resentment from other kids in the cast that you got the lead? No, there was no one who wanted to do it. You that's why, lucky that's fuck. That's why there was I, <laughs> I... Although, I think you'll appreciate this. The, the only thing acting-wise uh, of note that I had done at all uh, was when I was in eighth grade, they, they I don't know what subject it was put under, mm. reading or, or English or what, but they decided to break the class up into groups to do little scenes, mm. mini, mini play scenes or whatever, and I was cast. I did not seek it out. I did not ask. I was cast as Lou Costello in an Abbott and Costello routine ah! that was done, and and I, I did kind of knock awesome. that out the park. Yeah, of course you did. That's I. So we the we did the Man of La Mancha thing. I got cast as Sancho, and even though I was a sixth grader, and this was auditioning all the way up through ninth graders, which was a mm -hmm. huge deal. And most of the yeah, ninth, at that age, most of the ninth graders got the lead roles, mm -hmm. except for this guy. So there was a little yeah. bit of I. I got my first taste of like it wasn't as he's bad only then. in sixth grade, but he's loud. Yeah, exactly. They'll hear oh, him in the back yes, rows. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and I was a. Uh, like as close to a soprano as you could possibly be. And then by seventh grade, that that flipped entirely. And I still, my voice is all over the place, as I'm sure anyone <laughs> listening to the, the two people listening will understand. <laughs> I But then uh, when I got to ninth grade and got into the high school that all those other people had come from, uh, they do Shakespeare in the fall with uh, Shakespeare and Company uh, in uh, Lenox, Massachusetts. It's like this program where they go out to the different schools and you they help the schools put on a Shakespeare show and then they let them perform that show 
at the Rose Theater. That this is like is a kind of a recreation of the Globe. Um, oh, in nice. yes, Atlanta, and I could it could be a recreation of another theater, but it's a theater in the round, kind of like an older style style theater. And I auditioned for that and got the lead in Richard the um, Second. Oh, yes, in my freshman year uh, again. Because Did you understand what you were saying? I have never really had an issue with Shakespeare. I think that might have honestly, aside from the fact that I was loud and not easily embarrassed, I have always had an affinity for Shakespeare for whatever reason. Um, and it was that did not go over well with a lot of the other people that were in the school, a lot of the older people. And oh, to almost okay. like throw fuel, fuel to the fire, something that because I am a bad student and I a big part of why I liked theater is because I was good at it without having to try. I didn't try. Um, so unless we were doing a performance or getting close. So like some of the rehearsals, I wasn't off book towards the end. That never, that mm. ended up not being a problem for me ever again, because I was so scarred by how rightfully mad some of my castmates were that the lead wasn't off book. And then we were like two fucking weeks away from the show. Mm. Um, but that really stuck with me. But there was also just this kind of like, resentment like the and this like anger and it was it was it it kind of sucked and i almost didn't do uh theater the next year mm -hmm. um until a friend of mine at the time who unfortunately passed in a car accident about two years later um mm -hmm. emily brialt was her name um practically forced me to go in for the auditions and i and it's uh it hasn't stopped ever since <laughs> so so you you become a theater kid in in high school like a more full-fledged yes, yes like it got to the point where i was much to other people's chagrin some some people not all i was more recognized from people who weren't in the theater department as being from the theater department it was like oh andrew the theater department like, right, which was right, not right. fair it was just i was it wasn't just you were theater the face of me. it. Yeah. And I was it wasn't just theater. I also by like 11th grade, I wanted to host the talent show that we had, even though people didn't usually do that till senior year. Um, and I wanted to do morning announcements. I wanted to, like anything that I could get that I could be the center of attention. I tried to. So um, it was not hard to think like, hey, I wonder if this big, loud kid is in the theater department. And I also didn't really have any like cliques or phases or groups i kind of hung out with everybody at lunch mm. there was always a table i could sit at um which was a good problem oh, that's great have. when you when you have that variety of choice at that age it was until i think i realized um i don't like anyone well no, no i it was more of I, I i didn't realize until i left and went to like a theater school and met other people that were marginalized, for lack of a better term, how mm. much I was like, oh, I don't think the people I was around really liked me, or at the very least didn't have a lot of respect for me. There are some times mm. where I think about certain moment, moments, not to get too graphic, there was somebody who was like a family friend who has in recent years been like, hey, we should reconnect, like we owe it to each other, who once got to third base with a girl backstage at rehearsal and then wiped it on my jacket and told, wiped his hands on my jacket while I was wearing it like a, Hey, d good luck mm -hmm. out there. Like, and then told everyone. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wait, like wait, that wait. was the kind of shit that was happening to me that I was kind of like, Oh, ha, 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 ha. Right, right. It, we're just wacky theater people. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, there, there, yes. element. let me, well, let me ask you this. I think this is a, a fair question is, is, would there uh, an ethnic component to this? Um, unfortunately not. <laughs> oh, so it's just hated you. in a weird way. No, this I'm was talking. a person of color that did that to me. My dealings with race, with my race, growing up in Pittsfield, Mass, were a little bit more of, and I try to explain this to people. And sorry if it doesn't make sense. I was whatever race people needed me to be in the moment. I was, if they said something shitty about black people, it was okay because I was the, their black friend or because I was white and not black to them in that moment. Or if black friends wanted to call me like the whitest black person that they know, or they wanted to say, it was just this kind of, I kind of had no home. And Pittsfield is not a place where a lot of like black kids were hanging out with a lot of white kids and, and, and so on and so forth. Right. Well, that's kind divides. of where, what I was getting at. Yeah, so I was kind of like, I could go wherever I wanted, but I didn't realize until I got older that sometimes 
I would let things slide because I just thought like, oh, this is what they want to do in this moment. And I don't really have any recourse. Like they've kind of taken away my ability to complain about it. Right. Well, you, it sounds like in some ways you were accepted and, and isolated at the same time. Yes. Yep. You yes. know, so uh, and it, I'm sorry, turning all terrible. And how did that make you feel? Well, it's how did you feel about it? Well, you didn't real, really think about it until later on, you say, right? Exactly. Didn't really think about it. And then it became something where I've constantly. Did you want to go back and punch people? Like, you know, just you haven't <laughs> seen people in five years. Boom. What do you do that for? Nothing, man. Nothing. It's more of I have had to enjoy the living well is the best revenge. I am very happy. I love my wife. I have two beautiful kids. I've been able to do a lot of things with my career that I'm very proud of and excited about. And people who don't live Pits- leave Pittsfield don't usually get to do that. And like the person who rubbed his hand on my jacket, I wouldn't want his life at all. And he's, yeah. I'm sure he's perfectly happy, but it is kind of like a, you just kind of look and you realize like, oh, some of the people that were extra shitty to me, Things come back around eventually. Not always. There are plenty of shitty people who are going to live and until they're like ninety-seven. And those people you can go back and punch. Um, yes, yeah, exactly. But there is, there was this kind of idea of, and sometimes this can be to a detriment. I am always concerned about moving forward. Even I, I think it's healthy to talk about things and acknowledge that things have gone poorly. But I'm never trying to make up for something or change anything. You know what I mean? Like well, I, I, I think that's smart because you you, you can't change what happened. Right. And you know by talking about it, as you say, it's good to talk about it, and you talk about it. Um, and unless there's something to be done, which normally there is not. You move on. You've acknowledged it. It's a part of you. What's more important is what's in front of you. Exactly. Exactly. And I also, until this becomes something that I can't say, and luckily it isn't, I every time I've been like, well, you know what? I'm happy with where I am now. Do I want things to have gone differently? If everything, if, if everything, even the me going through shit has made me the person that I am today, even if it's made me want to be better to other people, like... It had, did it suck at the time? Absolutely. But I think there are aspects of it that made me, not only made me a better person, but made me actively want to be a better person. Um, and I, I kind of have to, I have to focus on that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because it, it, <laughs> we geek out too much. I'm thinking Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Make me want to be a better you man. May, I, Eric. And what I heard coming out your mouth, or at least I heard it coming out as your brain. As Good As It Gets was one of the first movies that I watched with my wife um, when we were in this kind of weird friend zone. Um, mm-hmm. And I say that to her all the time. I, oh, my wife does make me want to be a better man across the board and has made me a better man. My, I have a mustache, no big deal, it's whatever. Um, this thing is new as of like five years ago. So I, <laughs> we always joke. Sure, you can tell me anything. I didn't get... <laughs> All right, Andrew, you have a mustache. Bam. <laughs> but like facial hair. <laughs> that is that. new. It is new. It was so weird. Like this, I didn't, I had whispers. I had like maybe like hair on my chin. Mm-hmm. And then I started dating my wife and all of a sudden hair sprouted out, sprouted up everywhere. <laughs> it was crazy. Wow, she had magical powers. I guess. <laughs> so, all right. So uh, uh, facial hair aside, you're, 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 you're theater geek in, in, mm-hmm. in, in, uh, high school. Uh, so at this point, are you, are you thinking uh, career? No, uh, I am still thinking, how can I coast? And I think that was because I was like, I know I'm not a good student, even though I, I talked my way into a lot of good grades. Like I was in AP English and AP European history, and I had no business being in any of those classes, but I had very malleable teachers <laughs> <laughs> who I could trick into letting me do a good presentation instead of right, writing right. something, um, uh, which is ironic were you able given to my current it? my career path. Yes. So uh, what were you thinking? When, I'm sorry. I'm no, no, you no, up, no. But what were you thinking when you when you get out of high school? You, you went to college, right? Uh, kind of. I went to the <laughs> American Musical and Dramatic Academy, which is a theater conservatory mm-hmm. here in New York City, because I knew they didn't check grades. Um, <laughs> Um, And I knew the program was short. I was done. I started in October of 2007 and and was done in February of 2009. Um, So I was, it was barely a year and a half and I was out into the world living in a New York City apartment with six other people, realizing that I fucking hate auditions um, and (laughs) realizing that just being an actor, which is what I really thought was what my calling or purpose was, might not work as much. So, so... You 
when you went there, mm-hmm. did you had you changed from ah, I'll coast with this, or were you now like starting to, or is that what you walked out of? Well, I guess I'm an actor. Yeah, it was. A little of both. I definitely took AMDA seriously, and there were things that I – it got me acclimated to the city. It helped kill most of my Massachusetts accent, uh, which still comes up every now and then if I say words like happen or, oh, ba- bad. Like, there, it's just it's – my, my, my friend Alex, who is from uh, Massachusetts, he mm. told me a couple of the words that trip her up. I think one of them was Popcorn? Popcorn. I think it was popcorn. popcorn. I, I got know, double I know check. somebody from Massachusetts. I don't want to misrepresent her. Who, I know somebody from Massachusetts who says popcorn. Um, so maybe yeah, that's... Yeah, I think yeah, that yeah, was yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what you were talking about. But they, um, <laughs> it was something that I had to take seriously while also accepting that it wasn't the school that I thought that it was. And that's no, like, it, that was 16 years ago now. Who knows what it's like at this point. But it was... I I wanted to take it seriously, but I also, again, was starting to get friends and I think was a little confused as to what I actually wanted. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had already always toyed with writing stuff, but I had bad discipline and I had um, not like a lack of, I think my attention was just spread too much because I did, I was still thinking like, oh, I can be an actor or, or um, actor, see there it is again. Um, <laughs> or I can uh, try stand up, like I did stand up for a while, and it just. It well, I was going to ask mm-hmm. when did when did the stand? Well, so I guess it wasn't even a bug; it was a, a sidebar or something. The when stand did stand up come in? Stand up was pretty soon after I got out of AMDA, and I um, I went to a couple open mics with a friend of mine and got that uh, you know that hit at the at the mm-hmm. uh, at the pit on. Um, 23rd connected early yeah exactly the pit loft what's the what's oh yeah yeah yeah. they used to have their tuesday night open mics where it was like you get two minutes maybe um that's what those were how i started um Mm -hmm. and it was a great like trial by fire because if something worked there if a joke worked there you kept that joke and otherwise it was a real miserable experience (laughs) it was a lot of it was a lot of people who didn't care and a lot of people who were starting out because it was a real easy mic that you could also, there were some, I remember um, Jay Welch was running that uh, mic at the time, and I've followed his career. Just there were comedians you could still see, uh, and something it was, it was something that I didn't really uh, internalize at the time like I should have. You could wind up seeing like any kind of comedian there. Like there, obviously you wouldn't get ones that were like really booking shows, but you'd get people where you're like, oh man, they're really good. Yeah, uh, and yeah. yet they're coming to maybe get their name tossed in a hat to do this quick mo- open mic here for two minutes, and it's something that I didn't realize until uh, a couple of years later that I was like, oh, it's because all the really success- successful standups you can't keep them away from microphones. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's why even even when comics who I don't find funny or don't you know don't think are as I, but who make a certain level of success, I never have any resentment towards them because no one, it's rare for someone to get to a certain level and not have put in the work. It yes. is impossible for someone to sustain that. Yes. Like, I, exactly. I, I'm, I'm going to get myself in all sorts of trouble here. I've never been a huge Adam Sandler fan. Mm-hmm. There was a time it would have been a stronger statement. But, I mean, the man put in the work. Yes. And I actually like him as an actor, and, and I've softened on, on but... The point being, like, whoever your person is, everyone's got someone to, like, why does everybody like that person, <laughs> you know? And uh, some some people have a lot of those. But I have yet to see someone have any sustained level. You might have a moment, mm-hmm. but you, you don't get a sustained level of success unless you put in that insane amount of work. And that's why you will see yes. people, two minutes of stage time, what the hell, stage time. Yep. You know? Exactly, exactly. And it, and it's for a while because my, my stand up, I, now I do like, if somebody will give me a stage or something like that, I will happily, happily get in front of, in front of people and try to perform. I was lucky enough to get to do that with you at Word Up um, about a month ago, uh, whenever that was, where I got to stop by and tell a story, which I always am grateful for. But I, we it, always love having you stop oh, by. Thanks, bud. Um, but I, for about a year, I co-hosted a stand-up show at the former Charlie O's on 45th and 8th. Mm-hmm. 
uh, with in the with the Joe Franklin room in the back. I was we going to ask, would that we be old the, Joe Franklin? Yeah, we were in the Joe Franklin that, room. That was an interesting place. We were technically the last show in there because. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. so, so you done it, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the one that finished it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is now the American Iron Cross Bar, and you can go there to watch any sport game that you want while <laughs> while eating wings, which. Uh, Okay. We did that show and I had a lot of fun and it was something where I was, I found myself because I had that weekly show and it was also, I had a theater bartending job that made it harder to do stand up, but I needed a job and uh, because it was a nighttime schedule, even though I should have just been going after work, but I realized I just didn't love it enough. And two names that I would want to shout out as people who really inspired me to quit stand up <laughs> was <laughs> Jabron Salim and Emma Willman who are two of the funniest people I have ever met, two incredibly nice people, two people who have been very successful with stand-up, and two people who would come and do our show, be so grateful and so nice, and then we would be like, hey, we're going to go get wasted and do karaoke at this place around the corner. You should come. <laughs> and they would be like, oh, we're actually going to go. There's a mic in Queens. To, yeah. And then we're going to go do one in Brooklyn. And we were like, but it's like 1030. Okay, go ahead. And I realized, I was like, if I don't love this that much, I need to stop doing it. I need to stop focusing on it. I get you. I get you. Not and but you you know it's funny because that that's to your credit because not everyone in that position looks at it that way. People in that position sometimes look at that and say, "Well, I'm as funny as them. I'm doing the same shows as them. Why, you know?" Right. Yeah. Uh, a little known story about me. I uh, in the early days of No Name when we were a sketch group, uh, I had one of my periodic auditions at the comic strip. And I actually, it was one night that just like, it was a packed audience. None of them were my friends. None of my people showed mm -hmm. up and, and I tore it up. Like yeah. some random guy high fived me That's when I lot. got off the stage Ugh. and I did not get past. And the, the sticking point was they asked me about how many mics a week I was hitting. And at that point, I, I I know I, I You didn't lie, Eric. <laughs> I I didn't really lie, which I guess means I lied. Um I fudged it slightly. I did I did I didn't give an outrageous lie like, wow, I'm hitting five, six a week. I right. I, 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 I think I said one or two a week, mm. which was probably more true about every two weeks, gotcha. one or two, you gotcha. know. Um because I didn't want to get Flat out busted. Right, right. Uh, and it wasn't something that I was taking lightly, but I was also co-running a sketch group and working a horrible job that I was supposed to get out of work at 6 or 6.30, and it was as often as not 7, 7.30 or later and whatever. Mm -hmm. was, you know, so it wasn't just a matter, it wasn't really a matter of commitment as like I can only do but so much. But they don't want to hear that whole story, of course. you yeah, know. Yeah, of course. And I remember it was weird. I had, I had, I was kind of like, well, couldn't you at least give me a call, another callback or something? You know, <laughs> let let me see if I can repeat what I just did because sure. if I know I'm gonna be here regularly, right. uh, fuck the sketch group. No, I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> and that, of course, was, was early no name. So I'm I'm thankful that it played out that way. Mm -hmm. But but it was low. I didn't. It's funny, I was deep in enough that I understood that the commitment and the hitting the mics made the difference, but I didn't fully get that, you know, because I, I still have in my mind, you saw a random guy high-fived me, right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when you're at that point, it's like, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it, it's, I, you know, I should have given a speech thanking those who made it possible yeah. to get that high five, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than it's like, oh, well, yeah, I'm I'm not like the people who are really doing it, right. you know? Sure. So, all right, enough about me. So, uh, by the way, when, you, when you're out of the academy, um, at what point did you stop having six roommates? Oh, shit. Um, after a year. I only had the six roommates for a year, and then it went down to three roommates, and then I lived with the most serious girlfriend I've had aside from uh, my wife. Mm. That ended very poorly. And then I was back to having three roommates. But I got to move in with two of my best friends, uh, Mikhail Page and Jerron Young. Jerron Young still does oh, a yeah, lot of yeah. yep. Jerron does a lot of a lot of he's he's big on the comedy scene right now, which always makes yeah, me I, feel I, excited I, and proud because he 
when Mikhail was who I hosted, co-hosted the show with at Charlie mm-hmm. O's, and we took Jerron to that same pit open mic at one point um, because he wanted to start trying it, and he he got that love that I could never feel for it, and so I always feel grateful that in, in my brief experience with stand up, I maybe helped make sure that Jerron Young got to and and you know fuck me i like he he's done all the work himself but um uh, but i was the one who took him to the mic so uh no it well, was it came to the village right <laughs> yeah and, so, and i just and i have to tell you about always his, supported him ever since he's incredible his work it, like i understood him to have kind of dropped out for a while at one point mm-hmm. and when he came back he came back ready to do some work. He's incredible. And and I, I've really enjoyed his work a couple of times. I've seen him mm-hmm. uh, in the last couple of years mm-hmm. or whatever. So you, you, you're, you're letting the stand-up uh, go. You, you're saying that it's not well, for me. And it was a mix of things. It was both me deciding that I didn't want to do it as much anymore. Um, my life was changing. That breakup, this was about 2012. Um, mm-hmm. my, that breakup had happened. I was starting to get into other things. And I just, I had always thought... Stand up. All these things were a means to an end mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. writing, almost always. And I, I think it took me uh, around that time, around 2012, 2013, to really realize that. I was always like, oh, maybe if I tell enough Batman jokes, someone will let me write Batman at some point. You know, that was really because I was a big, I'm a big comic book fan as well. Mm-hmm. And that was always, it was always a means to, the, to an end. And the end was never more stand up. So I was like, why don't I just try writing a comic book? And that's what... 2013 turned into where I wrote a uh, graphic novel that a friend of mine drew and another friend, uh, Did uh get published. Uh, yes, mostly self-published. And then through that's, a, that's um, right. yep, and then that's through the process, man. Um, a digital public, it was published online for a while, uh, through a comics publisher that has gone very far. Right. Um, as, yes, yes. Um, as a lot of people who want attention have done in the last 10 years or so and ever, but I, it was, um, it was an incredible experience and learning experience. And it was another thing where I was like, I think my writing is okay in that graphic novel. It was like a fun little story. My friend, Joe Cabotit did the art and his art is beautiful in that book. And it's the thing I'm most proud of is that he got to do such incredible work for that book. Nice, nice. So so you're shifting your thoughts from on stage to, uh, to writing? Yeah, almost exclusively, too, because I had still, and I, the reason um, I started the Half-White Son of a Black Man podcast, but it was very much a, um, if I'm not going to be performing as much, I still need an outlet. Sure. So sure. that's what the podcast became, and then um, it morphed into, like, an improv thing. But I was just, I was writing, and what kind of helped shoot me forward is early on, in 2014, I was selected as a featured writer for an ABC Discovers showcase mm-hmm. where I wrote a scene that got picked, like submitted and picked for this thing. And I got to, it got put up in LA. And then I was chosen again for the same scene in 2016, which got put up in New York and got me in some, it's got me in some rooms that I probably would. I, I think, if anything, the biggest detriment of that happening was that it happened too early. I wasn't ready. I didn't have enough scripts under my belt. Things it can like go that. that way, yeah. Yes. Um, so it has been kind of playing catch up since then, but that set me off in, in like a, hey, let me write a spec script since that's what they, like, I think that my first thing was like a, uh, uh, they were going to make a Luke Cage show, which they mm-hmm. did end up making. And I was like, let me write a script for that, even though they're already writing it and clearly <laughs> nobody wants it. Um, <laughs> but I got an attention to some friends who already had some success and they kind of pushed me and it's, um, since then, it's been kind of building and building and building um, on on top of that, mm-hmm. almost exclusively writing and then more into uh, writing and directing. Oh, nice, nice. In past casual conversations, you know, I've, I've known about at least one or two scripts of yours, that, uh, screenplays of mm-hmm. yours that got some attention and we're, we're getting some festival notice and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Do you at this point have a particular thing in, in mind, like I want to write a movie or direct a movie or is it taking what comes and seeing what happens? It's, I, I am very much in a, I have to create my own work because there's a timeline now kind of a thing where I need to be able to start making money off of it because I have two people who need me to start making it, three technically, but um, <laughs> you know, 
it's getting to a point we where can edit that. Yeah, yeah, like a, a shit or get off the pot kind of situation mm-hmm. where I um, need to actualize things. And now, that being said, I've had some very actionable things that I've got. I wrote a uh, short horror film called Pay the Tithe that I directed as well that a friend produced. Um, that was released this past year, and, and uh, you can cool. you can watch it on Vimeo. I'm sure I'll send you guys the link um, if people want to check that out. But there was that, and then in 2019, I had a friend who wrote a very personal script for herself, and that was my I kind of pitched myself as a director for it um, for her. Um, that will be coming out in the coming year, and it's really about what I realized with the right. It's hard to get people to read scripts, even if that's their fucking job. Um, it's yeah. just, it's really difficult. It's easier to be like, here's a 15 minute video, like short that I did. It's even easier still to be like, here's a fucking five minute video or here's two minutes. Please just pay attention. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's, I'll buy you a coffee. Exactly. Stay awake. It's a lot of that kind of stuff. And it's yeah. also, I am a big proponent of networking and not just networking, but also like building friendships and also realizing that I want to be friends with people who are trying to advance their careers and who are trying to work hard. And obviously you're going to be friends with who you're going to be friends with, but there are people who I have admired, who I have pursued friendships with because of that. And that has gotten me work and it's gotten my stuff in front and I wrote another short that'll be coming out this year mm-hmm. um, or 24, 2024 at least that was shot last year because of a friend, a good friend of mine, Tim Barnes, who I very much admired, pushed me to write it into it. It was a story of something that happened to me right before the, the pandemic hit uh, where that he pushed me to write and then was kind enough to put his energy behind and that wouldn't have happened had I not been like, Tim is very funny. We had met a couple times. He was very nice. And I was like, I just want to be around this person. And all of the things that I have been lucky enough to do have been with people that I care about and who people who I respect and admire. It's not always going to be that way. Uh, but I find myself very lucky that that's been the case so far. I, I I hear you, man. You know, I, I have to say I, I can relate to the idea of like, you know, you see people that you want to work with mm-hmm. and you reach out to them. I, I don't think most people realize how often that can lead to something. I mean, yeah, yeah. sure, be in times it doesn't lead to something. But if you're serious about you know, most people who are serious about their craft, whatever the craft is, mm-hmm. are happy to interact with other people who are similarly minded. Yes. Uh, you know, and I think it just occurred to me, like, sometimes it's just simply because you're someone who gets it. I can talk to you yes. about this. Yes. You know what I mean? And uh, that's why I, I'm always a friendship first kind of guy. You know what I mean? I if 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 something comes out of it, great. But at the end of the day, I want to surround myself and be around people who I respect and admire, and am interested in what they are trying to do. Um, and and you're right. I love like my brother-in-law is a solar salesman. I will listen to him talk about solar for fucking hours because he is so passionate about it and cares about it so much. And if if we can at least start there, if something else comes out of it, even better. You know. So l- looking ahead, um, uh, so you've got got one movie coming out in in the coming year. Uh, two technically, two maybe three. So um, it wait, was, wait, give us information about it. What? So we've got uh, pay the tithe first, which uh, was my first one to be out there. Uh, it's out there already. People can watch it at home. It's a religious horror film about a, uh, a group of four people who are in the woods celebrating an engagement, and then a wounded priest arrives. They bring him in, and he starts to turn everybody against each other. Um, the other ones, details I have to keep a little bit under wraps, um, sure, just sure. because some of it is not my play. The um, This past summer, I wrote and directed a film called Move Your Body, uh, which is about someone who uh, just killed someone for the first time, and then his roommate comes home and is like, remember, we're having a party in two hours, and now he has to hide that body. So, But the body keeps making it harder because it keeps moving around the apartment. Um, so, um, You know what? I, I, I remember when, when that was a newer idea. I mm-hmm. think you worked on it, but I don't know that it was complete, and I, w- I was very intrigued well, by thank that. You, I, thank I, you. I, it's, I'm very excited. I, I want to see that when that, that's out. Absolutely. And then uh, Chemistry Test is the one that I wrote. That was, I, uh, among the many things of we'll never know what could have been, 
Um, and I think I can talk about this now. I was cast in a reboot of 30-something uh, that was going to be called 30-something else that is no longer going to happen. I had to have a chemistry test with a bunch of women who were possibly going to play my wife. Mm -hmm. So even though my character didn't really have a name, I thought like, oh, something might come out of this. Um, and all my, my scenes were supposed to shoot on March 26th, 2020. Um, so they did not shoot. <laughs> and then the show got shelved. Um, but what, the chemistry Sorry. test... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You gotta be dedicated. <laughs> the chemistry test um, that I had with all these was just women, these really talented actors, was such a weird and bizarre experience um, that we kind of, my friend, the Tim Barnes, when I was telling him about that, said, you should do something like that. And I wrote up a little script and then he helped develop that script. And then he was like, I wanna get this made. So that will hopefully come out within the next year because the writer's strike. And they uh, yeah. said, kind of put a like put a damper on everything. I, I was thinking about you a lot during that because I knew you had shifted your focus to writing, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Well, good timing." Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things where I was like, "Oh, everybody's on the same page now, huh?" Uh, but, no, but let I, me ask you this, though, uh -huh. because uh, and I think that's only the second time I've said this during this. I've I've learned that I say that like every five seconds, <laughs> but. I, so, but this is an acting thing that led to the short or whatever. Are, are you are you still keeping keeping a toe in in the acting, or did it was this something that just came to you? I joy. My wife always jokes that I am I'm so lucky that I I because I would say every three to four months about somebody asks asks me to act in something, and it's a real nice confidence boost that keeps me going for a while. And I don't usually have to. I'm offer only. Um, if you know, I'm. Just, <laughs> <laughs> but I, there are a few things that I do to keep those tools sharp. Um, one of them is I work with a theater company called Random Access Theater that does a series called The Drunk Texts, where they take classical texts or current texts made classical and do staged readings where we play drinking games with the audience and we get drunk and they get drunk and we say the, I have uh, adapted uh, Ghostbusters for them, Halloween, two different Star Wars movies. Um, I, I take them and I knock them down to like 30 pages of iambic pentameter. And then we get to, you know, act silly and get on stage and perform those. So that's always fun. <laughs> the person who got me into that, uh, Jen Standella, um, directed me in a play last summer that I was able to do because it was a lower commitment. I was in a short film just a couple weeks ago or like that I, that shot last month and was like premiered last week, actually. Um, so like when I am, if people want me to do something, I'm always happy to. And the other thing, the other tool I used to keep those sharp, and this was a big career thing for me. As I had mentioned before, I've spent the better part of the last 14 years bartending at Broadway shows. And the first six years that I did that, I did not handle that job properly. And I, it gives you a lot of free time and a lot of time, not only free time in uh, like off the schedule, but at work, right? And I hated that job and I, I despised what it was and I thought it was keeping me from doing things. No, I was keeping me from doing things. Mm. Um, so when I, for a few years, I was like, I'm writing now. I want to just do nine to fives and office jobs and that'll get me more disciplined and that like just dumb, the dumbest idea that I could have possibly had. It made it much harder uh, to uh, do other work and focus on things. So I had to quit one of those jobs, which was for one of the worst companies I've ever worked for in my <laughs> life, um, uh, Metropolis and Comic Connect. I'll just call them off there. If you have to sell comic books, do not go to those people. <laughs> um, but I then had to go back to theater bartending. And when I went back there, I said, I have to come at this with a different mentality. And this was about 2018. I need to work while I'm here, not just the work I'm doing, mm -hmm, work on mm -hmm. my own stuff. And I need to work when I'm not here. And just, it was, I needed to value the fact that I did not have to take my work home with me, that I had a job that still paid decently enough that I didn't have to take home with me. And since then I've had the most creatively fulfilling six years that I've ever had. Granted the lockdown happened at one point in there, but I, because I had been so disciplined writing wise, I wrote so much during lockdown. Um, and just kept that muscle going. But the other thing was, I was like, I can't be miserable while I'm here. And I won't say what show that I work at, but there is a lot of kids that come to the show and I was like, I'm gonna make their night 
any kid that comes and and honestly I try to do that with any customer but I was I started to get to this point where I'm like I'm going to have prepared lines I'm going to have things that I know work every time I am going to treat this like crowd work I am going to treat <laughs> nice. this like I am going I have never seen the show that I work at depending the customer I have I've seen the show 10 times I've seen it once I've never seen it but they're going to like it anyway all these different things like all these things where I realized I can hone certain skills that I can use elsewhere at this day job that, you know, I don't particularly care for, but I have to acknowledge it has helped me considerably. Man. Well, I, I have to say, I, first of all, I, I just enjoy talking to you, but I also, I have so much respect for the work that you've done and that you've done enough work that you've been able to figure out shit that you need to figure out to, to get anywhere with anything. Sure. Uh, Wow, that was one of the more nebulous comments I've ever made in my life. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is I really respect your work and, and I'm you. happy that you're figuring things out and doing amazing things and thank you for stopping to talk with us about it. I say thank stopping you. to talk with us, we came into yes, your home. Yes, you did. Thank you so much, but, by uh, the way. <laughs> Again. But thanks for having us into your home, man. It was my pleasure. Thank you for talking and just like, you know, I meet people. That's what I always, and I think you are a prime example of this. I remember David told me about you because I, we I used deny to be it. neighbors. <laughs> we used to live in the same building, yeah, and yeah. and we had kind of met casually. But David told me everything that you were doing, and that made me want to pursue our friendship. Oh man, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, that's yeah. not, and it, I've gotten lucky in that, like, now I've been able to tell stories and word up bookshop. I've been able to sit here with you right now. I've been able to meet incredible people through our friendship, but I also have gotten a good friend out of it. Like, and that's always paramount to me. We, you could have never asked me to do this podcast, um, even though I asked you to do mine. Um, <laughs> well, and I, I, <laughs> I was going to say, I actually, well, well yeah, I'm going to interrupt you throwing compliments my way to toss one that I think I really need, need to acknowledge before we, we sign off on this is that when you invited me to do your podcast, I had only ever done like one podcast mm -hmm. appearance and that was like when podcasts were totally new and it wasn't really any kind of a form formulated thing yet. They were called podcasts because they were on your iPod. Well, <laughs> like yeah. that's our early. <laughs> but, but I'm just saying, you know, I, I really didn't know uh, what I was getting into and, and I had a blast with you guys and oh. it, 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 I was extremely nervous, but I also thought to myself, you know, when I walked out of there, like, I didn't die. And <laughs> there's, like, hey, you know, this might be something worth looking into. And then I, I did another guest spot on, on another podcast, and that, that kind of reinforced it. And you were actually very kind to give me some information when Gary and I were first starting uh, to talk about doing a no-name podcast. Um, you gave me some very helpful insights and one day I'll implement them. Yeah. But no, seriously, you, you gave me the sense oh, of like, oh, I might that, be man. able to actually pull this yeah. off both by being a guest on your thing and for your your time and, and valuable advice. And, oh. and I just wanted to thank you for that. And if anyone really despises our podcast, he's one of the culprits. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Beth. Continued success to you, even though you're going to New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, I love you guys all very much, and thanks too, for, for being here. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. That was our conversation with Andrew Sanford. Man, I love talking to that guy. I'm going to miss him. He's after moving to New Jersey. But he's got a family. He's got to do the right thing. And now I'll have to go further to borrow money when I need to. Anyway, check out all of his, his films, his shorts, anything this guy puts his hands on. Go check it out. You're going to have a good time. I want to thank all the folks who make this happen. First and foremost, the Grand Poobah everything, our producer and chief sound engineer, Gary Hardcastle. I want to thank Miles Bluespoos, who provides additional sound editing, a tip of the cap to our interns, that is Stanley Recio and Jeremy Pueyo. The theme music was written and performed by King of the Hill, Courtney Hill. And as we always like to leave you with some music, I may be giving you a song that we already gave you. I honestly can't recall, but I love this guy's work. He was in town recently, in my mind. The wonderful singer-songwriter Jordan Okrin. The song is How Many Days. Until next time, I'm Eric Vedder. I love you all.
Yeah. 